Yeah. Had to take a nap because I'm tired of the cap. cap. Body programs to be wired to the trap. Yeah. Get the back flipping and desire the racks. He lost in the sauce and it costs what it costs. Hey. The beat play shit transpired in the rap. Right. Johnny stay lit like the fire at the camp. Life got dark for a minute, no gimmick. Yeah. Welcome in, everybody, to another episode of In the Film Room, the Sacramento Kings podcast. We are back to that same old familiar feeling. And. It sucks. It stings because this next month-long stretch is going to mean a lot when it comes to how the Kings are going to get their way into the playoffs. And it's it's off to kind of a rough start here. And we're going to dive into all this. We're going to talk about it all. But first, I got to check in with my guys. Kings Film Room, how are you doing? Uh, Quite frankly, I'm doing terrible, you know. As someone whose mental health revolves around his uh, sports teams, the Kings going one and two on a week where, you know, they really should have gone three and zero at the very least two and one, one and two is just unacceptable, and you know it puts a big damper on the mood. And so I'm still in recovery from that, and uh, so so it's not great on this side. You guys at least have the 49ers, so there's some positive. I don't have that. Yeah, that yeah. there is. I, I'm not even going to mention the NFL for me. <laughs> Are you sure? I mean, the Steelers are technically still in playoff contention. Technically. We're we're in that purgatory where you're not having a top pick or making the playoffs. Even if they make the playoffs, they're getting skunked by 40 again to the Chiefs or whatever team they're playing. It's not going to be good. All right. Well, uh, I guess in a way I can understand the pessimism. Been there for a decade and a half with the Kings, so I, 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 I empathize. Fish guy? How you doing? Well, the Niners are the only thing keeping me afloat. Mm-hmm. God bless them. Because we know the Kings, obviously, they went one and two. Terribly, one and two. And then the Giants, San Francisco Giants, are probably the most inept organization in baseball right now. Mm-hmm. So two out of my three favorite teams are... Not good right now at this very moment. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And since you and I root for the same baseball team, that, that also, that also stings with me. Um, And then uh, the premier league is back and we're recording this on a Monday night. So early, early this morning, my dumbass decided, yeah, I'll wake up at four 30 in the morning to, to watch my, my beloved, Tottenham Hotspur play and it was so it was like the dumbest game ever they went down two goals somehow came back and got a got a draw out of it but they should have won that game because they were just vastly superior than the team they played so like we we are all the way back like every single one of my my sports teams is just back to disappointing me except for the San Francisco 49ers so yeah shout out to them yeah let, let's let's talk about it though it, it was it was setting up to be a nice return home after six games on the road, fellas, a road trip in which the Kings went three and three, which we all talked about on this podcast, three and three would have been a okay. would have been optimal even for the, for the Kings coming off of that East coast road, uh, road swing. They finish three and three at 500. Now they, they, they won a few games that I think we might've not expected them to win, but they, they, they were, we saw a couple of the best wins of the season on that road trip. They come back to Sacramento. They get the Charlotte Hornets who going into that game last Monday, they had the worst record in the NBA. 
They play against the Los Angeles Lakers, who are just, I mean, I don't know what is going on with that team right now. And then on Friday, they played against the Washington Wizards, who also, I mean, I think coming into the Kings game, they had lost, I believe it was uh, 11 of 12 or something like that. I mean, that team was just on an absolute free fall. And the Hornets and Wizards were both pretty injured. I mean, the, the, uh, the, the Hornets, especially, I mean, that team has been like an infirmary, uh, infirmary ward all season and, and, and LaMelo ball, obviously not having him around, that's going to impact your team a lot. But even with LaMelo back, you would think on paper, on paper, the Kings should have handled their business against the Hornets. I was at that game. I'm telling you, man, all three games, and I wasn't at the Lakers game. I was at I was at the Hornets game, and I was at the Wizards game. Dude, all three games, the crowd brought it. They were ready. They they welcomed their team back with with a huge warm embrace after a long road trip. And quite frankly, the team let them down. Let's start with the Hornets game. The Kings lose that one. It 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 just it it never really looked like they they got going after their initial burst to start the game. I mean, they were up by double digits to start that game, and it looked as if they were going to come out and they were going to bury that team early on. And then they kind of just faded. And then they ended up losing that game 125 to 119. LaMelo Ball was quite ineffective in the first half, had some foul trouble, and then in the second half, kind of took over. Fish guy. I know it was a very, very frustrating watch, and I hate that we're going to have to revisit this, but... What'd you think about that game? Um, so off rip, the Hornets are a much better team with the Mala balls on the court, and we know that. Right? Like, he's one of those guys where it's just his his overall gravity makes the teams his team, whatever team he's on, obviously the Hornets, he makes the teams better, right? Um I just feel like the energy in the first quarter, which which you just mentioned, was really high. And then I kind of think that the, the Kings felt like the, the Hornets were going to fold. You know what I mean? Like, oh, yep, we got a lead. They're a bad team. They're not going to fight back. And then they did, and especially in the fourth quarter. The fourth quarter is what I noticed, like, LaMelo Ball specifically. He was just outplaying every single player on the Kings. And then Nick Richards, what, what did he go like? He shot like 80% from the field or whatever it was. Nick Richards off the bench was killing the Kings. You know, and that just, I think it's a testament to how poorly our backup big men are, right? Like, we don't have any good backup big men. And so, I I feel really bad for Sabonis, because this is why. First of all, God willing, he's okay. Um, I think his hand injury isn't as bad. I mean, James' hand touched on him, but... It's to the point where I feel like we're stretching him too thin, right? Where he's literally doing the heavy lifting on basically both ends of the court. You know, um, I feel like a big thing that the Kings haven't been super strong on, they haven't really been forcing that many turnovers. You know, they're they're not really too opportunistic. Uh, or they haven't been this whole week, but or last week. <clears throat> but even when they did force turnovers, they weren't taking advantage of it. You know, they weren't getting points off turnovers. Their transition was just like, they were taking, I just feel like they took bad shots in transition against the Hornets. And I feel like De'Aaron Fox kind of caught on a little slow. Like he caught on late. You know, he 
He started taking off in the fourth quarter. Don't get me wrong. De'Aaron Fox was like, he was he was a madman in the fourth quarter. But after that, everyone else was just like, outside of Fox and Sabonis, the Kings need help. You know, and I think Monty McNair is seeing that because Keegan Murray is not ready yet. I think maybe next year, and maybe in a couple of years, he'll be that guy, that third guy. But if the Kings want to make the playoffs this year, they need a third guy now, you know? So overall, like, I think that Fox and Sabonis can only do the heavy lifting for so long. And now you're starting to, starting to see that teams are game planning around that and it's hurting the Kings. So we'll see. Yeah. Fox was great, like you said, uh, late on. And he finished with 37 points on the night, uh, which ties the season high. And Sabonis, <laughs> Sabonis had an awesome game. Sabonis had like 12 rebounds in the first quarter. That man, that man is playing the best basketball of his life right now. And that night, he he had 28 points, 23 boards, and seven assists. I mean, the the guy was just was just sensational. Um, I want I wanted to get your thoughts on this KFR. When when it come when it comes to the when or yeah when it comes to the Hornets game in in particular in the second half specifically in the fourth quarter the Kings were running at Lamelo Ball hard I mean they were closing out hard on him right and there were some flybys there was some there were some there were, there were some possessions where they would run by him and kind of be off balance and they wouldn't close out short on him right and I, and I think with Lamelo Ball. He's at his best when he's in an advantage position and he's got he's he's got you on his hip or you're behind him and he's able to get dribble penetration so that he can create for others. You know, I I, I he's really he can he can knock down some threes. He knocked down some on Monday night, sure, but he's not a knockdown shooter, right? Like he's not like an elite three-point shooter by any stretch of the imagination, right? I, I'm I'm curious as to why that was the strategy. And and if it wasn't the strategy, then I'm curious as to why the coaches didn't kind of nip that in the bud and say, hey, close out short on him and cut off his dribble penetration because he's much, much more dangerous getting downhill and going towards the basket. Why, why was it that they decided, yeah, it's fine. Let's just fly by him and let him get wherever he wants. Because once he gets, to, once he gets into that 15, 18-foot area, if he's not taking a jumper, he's pretty good at finding somebody else. And he, he generated a ton of open looks for not just Nick Richards you know, at the rim, but also guys like, I mean, Kelly Oubre had 31, right? Like, why is it that they decided to go with that strategy? And why why was it that they decided not to not to do something about it and make an adjustment there? Yeah, I really don't know why, you know, you would be flying by him like that. And like you said, he is a good shooter and he can knock down threes and he was drilling them. But he's a dude that also is not a catch and shoot guy. Like, he's way more comfortable off the dribble. It's kind of like a... LeBron is kind of similar in that LeBron wants those advantage situations where, you know, if you fly by at him, which that really, really is going to happen because teams have scouting reports on him. But LeBron doesn't shoot catch and shoot threes at all. He'll shoot like six, seven per game, but it's all off the dribble. It's all on his like own accord. LaMelo is kind of similar in that. So I would never be having those like Ray Allen type of closeouts on him. I think he always got to be more aware of the drive and because he's always going to find the open guy. And that really happened all night. And it's the Kings defense that game was just atrocious. And Mike Brown talked about it afterwards. It was really like the weak side guys. Cause the the whole the Kings defense philosophy is trying to like discourage guys from getting into the paint because 
they don't have shot blockers for when they get down there. So you got to really like be in position. Your weak side guys got to rotate in time. They got to tag the rollers in the pick and roll situations. They got to be there to be able like above the restricted area to where they can take a charge and they weren't there all night. And so, you know, the Kings defense, I don't, I, I don't know what went on at halftime. I'm sure that they were trying to respond to the problems in the first half. Cause the problem in the first half was that weak side defense. And with guys were out of position, it would just lead to bad closeouts and, you know, everything was just a little bit off, and I don't know what the problem was all night. It's just the Kings were not locked in on that end because guys weren't making rotations. Closeouts were weaker all night, and it was just a bad effort on that end. Yeah, it was an absolute mess, and that's not what you want to see when you come back to the friendly confines of Golden One Center after being away for two weeks. I mean, there were stretches during that road trip where, yeah, the defense looked bad, but they were able to get stops when they needed to uh, in a couple of their victories during that six-game road trip. And that just was not the case on Monday night, um, and then even more so on Friday night, which obviously we'll get to. But Wednesday was kind of a 180. They played the Lakers at home. The Lakers did not have Austin Reeves, and they did not have Russell Westbrook. So, you know, if you want to put an asterisk on it, go ahead. But a win against the Lakers is a win against the Lakers. The Kings are 2-0 against them this season. That was obviously a very important win when it comes to, you know, you look at the Western Conference, you're playing a conference, not just a conference opponent, but a divisional opponent. And the Kings, after kind of trading buckets, going back and forth with them in the first half, ended up winning by 14 points, 134 to 120. Uh, man, again, I wasn't at the game, but I, I think I think you guys both could sense it while watching it, you know, through your whatever you're watching it, through your TV screen, your laptop, your computer, whatever. That place was absolutely electric. Still too many Lakers fans in there for my liking. Um, really annoying. That's just going to be a thing, though, I think forever. I think it's just like Lakers fans will always show up to Golden 1 Center. They'll find a way. But regardless, it's always nice beating that team. Always nice getting a win against a uh, a divisional opponent. And that was a nice way to rebound after that debacle on Monday night. And KFR, I know that for you, there's like, there's there's added incentive for you whenever the Kings beat the Lakers because I I understand that you have family members who are also Lakers fans, right? So it's always nice to 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 kind of get a little bit of a get some bragging rights, right? And and kind of kind of get kind of give them shit for for being Lakers fans and giving you shit all all those years when you were dealing with this with this just terrible, just lost franchise that just could never get out of their shadow. So um, I kind of feel like, you know, look, you did a little, you did a little trolling on Twitter on Wednesday night and that must've been really cathartic for you. I would imagine, um, especially after the traction that it got as well. Uh, seems like there were a lot of salty Lakers fans in your mention uh, or in your, in your mentions. Yeah. I, I've never seen the Robert Ory gift so much in my life. <laughs> I don't know how many Laker fans responded with that. And like you mentioned, my brother's a Laker fan and I'm really close with him. And he thought the tweet was like all in good fun. And, you know, he didn't have a problem with it. But uh, Laker fans, clearly a lot of Laker fans did have a problem with it because they were in my mentions like crazy. And listen, okay, I'll just address this because every, their their argument every time is the Kings are a property franchise. Well, you just lost to a property franchise and that just right. makes the Lakers look worse. Mm-hmm. And I'm not even denying that the Kings are a property franchise. <laughs> like, I, 
tell me something I don't know. Yeah, I don't. Lo- logic and reason kind of goes out the window with those guys usually. Um, they, they and it's pretty crazy. I, I, I saw a lot of people, a lot of people that were were friends with, a lot of mutuals that were that were buddies with on Twitter, go into some Lakers spaces, just just to kind of you know dip the toe a little bit and see what it was like. And yeah, a few of them were like, yeah, I couldn't last more than like a minute in there because those people were losing their freaking minds. Um, yeah, it's always fun beating them. Um, the Kings came out in that third quarter and they really just took control. When four of your five starters score over 20 points, usually that means you're probably going to get the win. Um, Keegan was outstanding. It was nice to see Kevin shoot the ball really well. Um, Fox was Fox. And the only starter that didn't score 20 points was DeMontis Sabonis. And DeMontis Sabonis decided that he was just going to come out and he was just going to have another crazy game with another crazy stat line. Um, 13 points, 12 assists, 21 rebounds. That man came into the game with a questionable designation and ended up suiting up and dropped just the most casual triple-double you can imagine. Um, in a game that the Kings really had to have, I, I, I think. I know it's kind of early on in the season, but um, yeah, there you go. That win put them at 17 and 13. And coming into Monday's game, this was also a possibility. The Kings could have gone over 500 for the first time since 2006, had they won on Monday. They went on Wednesday to put themselves back in that same position going into Friday night. And you look at the Wizards, and you're like, hmm. This team's not playing very well. This team is also coming off of uh, th- this is gonna that was gonna be their second game of a back to back, and we should have mentioned that about the, the Charlotte game as well. Like the Hornets were coming back, they were coming off of uh, a back to back. They had played in Denver the night before. The Hornets came into Golden One Center on Friday night, having just lost to the Jazz the previous night. And Fish Guy, I I gotta wonder, to you, based on what you saw on Friday. Which team looked like they were the one coming off of a game the night before? The Kings or the Wizards? It looked like the Kings played a back to back to back, the third game of a back to back to back. Yeah. Yeah. It was like it was like a flashback to the 2011, 2012 season when they were doing three games in a row. Yeah. Right. I mean, that it was just disgusting. Like the, the effort was was just piss poor almost from the jump. Um, yeah, that that game. Like, burn the tape, dude. I, I don't even I, – I know that the coaches would want to go back and look at it, but it, it was just ugly. The Kings lost 125 to 111. It was it was close after the first quarter. The Kings were down by a point. And then the Wizards outscored the Kings 40 to 23 in the second quarter, and they kind of never looked back from then. Uh, I, I, I don't even I – don't, I don't even really know. They're, they're like, not enough negative <laughs> words and – I don't know superlatives or whatever to describe it, but I mean, fish guy, like I, I, I just, I mean, where do the Kings go from here? That was by far the worst performance of the season. So this is, this is the problem. It's just, I don't think it was like more so like a performance issue, right? I think it's just an effort issue. Like, you know, but Mike Brown talked about it. I believe he said, this is a tough time of the year to get players to stay engaged. And I mean, as Kings fans, we're used to it. We know the Kings always have a terrible December. They always are just so bad. And then you know what? Historically, De'Aaron Fox, something about him is he always turns it up after the New Year. You know? And I hate to, like, point point fingers, but, you know, De'Aaron Fox is, technically speaking, the leader of this team. 
you know, he is the elder statesman, I guess, longest tenured Kings player. He's got to, I think the Kings follow his lead sometimes, you know, the players, because there's just times where he just looks like he doesn't, he's very, very disengaged. Like he's just like, okay, let's just get this game over with. We're going to, we're going to beat these guys because we're better than them. But, you know, watching that, that Wizards game, it wasn't a 14 point loss in my eyes. This was arguably all things considered with context, probably one of the worst performances I've ever seen the Kings play. Like in my entire life. And that's including the 16 year playoff drought. It was such a bad performance in terms of like energy, just like bad shots. Uh, the defense was terrible. They didn't force a turnover until the last 30 seconds or the last 10 seconds of the second quarter. Right. And then they ended up forcing eight more in the second half, which is, I mean, that's a good number, but it's just their, their defensive playmaking has been so terrible this week, this past week. And if it wasn't for the Lakers just being trash, like just being a dumpster fire, they probably, if they played any other team, they probably would have went 0-3 this week, you know? And I don't know. I just I just think that the Kings right now are having an effort issue. Just I'm looking at the numbers from that Wizards game. Only 19 assists to the Wizards 30. Um, they only had two blocks. Only had five steals, you know? And a lot of that was in garbage time, to be honest with you, because we were down 30 by the halfway mark of the third quarter. Um, the one thing I did, actually, the one silver lining in that game is that in the third quarter, the Kings did start, start showing a little fight near the second half of the third quarter. At that seven-minute mark, they started attacking the basket. I think they shot 14 free throws in the third quarter. Yeah, um, they, they shot a ton of free throws in that third quarter for sure. They got they got, they got got the Wizards in the penalty pretty quick there. and were pretty They attacked quick. it. Yeah. You know, they attacked it. And I, I, you know, I, I can appreciate that. Because that's definitely the the uh, bright side of having a good coach. Because if it was Luke Walton, we probably would have lost that game at 50. Maybe 60. Like, no exaggeration. And, yeah, I don't know. Um, I just, I'm just i just looking at the numbers, and I'm just like, God, I, I regret even looking at these numbers right now. I'm just so upset. I'm just looking at it. I just think it's it's overall, it's an energy issue. And if we bring that same energy to the Nuggets back-to-back this week, they're going to blow us out. They're going to blow the Kings out bad. Mm-hmm. You know, especially the way that they've been playing the last month. They've been probably maybe the best team in basketball last month. And with no Sabonis, potentially, it's going to be a problem if we bring that effort. You know? Um, I don't know. I don't know. The, the Kings have, the Kings have uh, a lot to figure out. Um, I think that into the, coming into the new year, I think that the Kings will be a fresh start. I think it'll be a fresh start for them, you know, because like Mike Brown said, it's just one of those things where it's a drag near this time of the year, near this time of the season for players, um, and it's hard to keep them engaged. So hopefully Mike Brown can sit them down over these last one. They, they had it off since since Saturday. So three-day break or two-day break, hopefully that helps them. Hopefully they, they reset mentally. Yeah. I. It's hard to think that they're suffering from yeah physical fatigue is is gonna be a a thing you have to manage that throughout the course of a season but it's it's kind of hard to imagine that they're already suffer- suffering some mental fatigue as well <laughs> it's 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 fairly early we're we're a little past the um the uh not the quarter mark but you know we're about a more than about a third of the way through the season and if that's already 
taking a toll on you, you know, like having your focus from night to night. I, I, I just, I, I just don't know. I don't know what to say. I mean, that, that, that's the, you would, you would hope that the coaching staff is able to get that right. And, and with this coaching staff, I definitely believe that they will. These guys are not going to give these guys even a second to think that they can just be lax and kind of lay back and think that everything's going to be all good. They need to stay focused. They need to stay engaged. And, and I'm sure that this coaching staff is going to demand that of them. But I will say if, and I don't think this will be the case, but if this continues, then and I'm not implying anything. I'm just saying if this does continue, this energy issue, this energy, this effort issue, then you have to start looking at the roster and you, you have to start looking at guys like De'Aaron Fox and thinking, can this guy actually lead us? You know, like, is this guy really going to be the leader of this team if he can't keep the team engaged? Like, you see guys like Tatum, who are the exact same age as him, exact same draft class, have the exact same amount of experience. Tatum came into the league and he immediately became the leader of that team, right? Like, same thing with guys like Donovan Mitchell in that same draft class. He became the leader of that team, and he's oh, those two guys specifically from that draft class. And I think that, call me crazy, but I think Fox is or can be on that level of, of t- like, skill with them. I think he has a skill. I'm talking about production, I mean. I think he can be on that level of production. If he can't match that energy and leadership that they have, I think it's a problem. I do. But... I'm I'm not gonna panic. I'm not gonna jump to conclusions. I think there's still a lot of time. I think Mike Brown will definitely get on him. De'Aaron Fox is he admitted it. He's the type of guy where he needs a coach to get on him. He needs he's a very uh like obedient player. Like he listens to people and he you know reacts accordingly. So hopefully, hopefully, hopefully that's not a tr- a, a trend that continues. Yeah, he's. I think by now we figured out that, yeah, he definitely needs some extrinsic, uh, extrinsic mo- motivation because intrinsically uh, that's, I mean, if, if he was like ultra, ultra motivated, I'm not saying he's not, but if he was the kind of guy who could just bring that out of himself without external motivation, then we probably would have seen a much, much different side of him. But, you know, he, he's, we, we kind of know what kind of person he is now. He's very low key doesn't he's not going to go out of his way to to make everything about basketball he's he's got he's got a life outside of that and he makes that very very clear and i 100 percent respect that you know like not everybody's going to be all hoops all the time um so it is good that mike brown is his coach now because mike brown is going to demand that of him and and we've seen what that's done what what's that done that i mean really just overall he's had a fantastic season if you don't count the games where he was hurt but I mean, what Mike Brown has done for him, especially defensively, you know, that that shows you like if somebody's on his ass about something, uh, he will get after it. And so, I mean, maybe now Mike Brown just has to do that a little bit more to get even more out of him with Sabonis potentially missing some games. But we'll see. It's going to be an interesting to it's going to be an interesting thing to to, to monitor over these next few weeks um, and, and to see how this team does. My My next question about really just this whole thing is, you know, going into Monday night's game against the Charlotte Hornets, if you looked at the next 19 games from that point, so this is through basically the end of January. Of those 19 games, 15 of them are going to be home games. The Kings are basically living at Golden 1 Center for the next month. That's rare. Yeah, I think every team in the league does have like long home stands and that kind of thing. Every team gets a couple every season, right? 15 of 19, though. That's rare. And you would hope that your team would take advantage of that, especially considering that some of the competition that they will be facing in those 15 home games is really not all the best. 
And the three games last week against those three teams would certainly qualify as such. Those were very winnable games for the Kings. They just got off to a one and two start on a six game homestand and a one and two start over a 19 game stretch where they're going to be playing 15 of those games at home. And now, if you look at the counter, you know, they've just, they've just wasted away basically two of those 15 home games, right? So, does that basically eliminate the margin for error here for the Kings when it comes to keeping themselves in that top six? You know, I mean, is 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 it kind of, I'm not saying it's do or die necessarily, but I mean, one more bad loss or like two more bad losses over this next month or so. Does that really kill the Kings? Like, could we could we look back in April and be like, oh man, that was their chance at, firmly being a playoff team and not having to deal with the play-in or worst-case scenario, oh, that one or two or three bad losses there kind of killed their chances even at the play-in. KFR, what do you think? Yeah, I would hope that this is just a reality check for the Kings. But the bad part is, like, that Charlotte game should have been the reality check. Like, the Kings didn't bring it. They brought it the first five minutes. But after that, it fell apart, and they just never really regain their traction and just fell apart down the stretch. And so I was hoping that was the reality check. Like, okay, the Kings hadn't had one of those bad, bad losses yet. They hadn't lost to a like legit tanking team, a really bad team. And then that was the first time. And so I thought the mindset would change after that. It's easy to get it up for that Laker game. So I'm not surprised they ended up winning, especially with LA, just the awful just state that they're in right now. But then that Washington game just made no sense. And the Wizards have more talent than the record says. And I didn't think that was going to be an easy game by any means. But I don't know how you go out there and go down by 30 in the third quarter against that team. That There is no excuse for that, especially when we talk about you're at home and the crowd brought it. Like I'm pretty sure that was a sellout. And you could feel the first few minutes of that game, the energy was real. And I, I don't understand how you can have two of those losses basically back-to-back after you hadn't had one all year. And so hopefully this is just a reality check that took longer. But yeah, I think there is a good chance that we'll look back and say, man, the Kings, they really could use one or two more wins right now. And then we'll look back at these games and say, what happened against Charlotte? What happened against the Wizards? Why did the Kings have to come out with no effort and, now we're going to miss the chance of that eight seed or nine seed, wherever it is, because of that. But the good news is it's still early in the season. Kings are still the sixth seed as of right now, and they still have a light schedule for the next 19, 17, whatever it is, games now. Mm-hmm. So you still have a chance to beef it up. And if the Kings go on a run here, then it'll, we'll forget this even happened. And so that's what will happen in the ideal world. But it's a king, so we just always got to think negatively and nothing's going to go their way. But but I'm still positive. I'm still hopeful that they'll end up having, you know, a good uh, stint here in the coming weeks and really beat that record up because they'll need it because these other teams are going to start figuring themselves out. We've already seen, like, Dallas is kind of figuring it out now. They're going to be climbing the standings. When the Warriors get a step back, I'm pretty confident they're going to go on a run. These teams are going to start going on runs, and the Kings won't be the sixth seed if they keep playing at this pace because the Kings were 10 and six. They've played below 500 balls since that time. Uh, 
the last win was at Memphis in that stretch where they won uh, seven in a row. So since then, you know, they've had some good wins, some really good wins in that stretch, but they've also had some bad losses. And so the Kings haven't been playing the best ball recently. But the fact is that we've seen them play high-level basketball. And so I'm still hopeful that they'll figure it out and just use this as a kind of check. Abe, do you think it's do you think it's possible that this could be a in a way kind of a good thing for the coaching staff to to say, well, look, you thought you were this. That's that's not what you are. You don't deserve to take a night off. You don't deserve to underestimate your opponent. You don't deserve to think that you can just sleepwalk through a game and walk out with W's just because on paper you're better than a team. Do you think that in a way the the coaching staff, Mike Brown and company, they can they can almost kind of weaponize this and use it as a as kind of like a stark reminder, you know, in 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 the coming weeks to let these guys know, yeah, you 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 don't you don't deserve to be given anything. It's the NBA. There are no easy nights. There are no off nights at all when it comes to facing opponents. Like you're going to be facing somebody tough every single night. Doesn't matter what their record says. Do you think in a way that this could be beneficial in the long run for the Kings? So I think adversity is good for every team, right? In any sport, okay? You want to go through adversity. You want to, you want the team to be battle-tested, right? Like, that's that's good. Like, you know, Drew, we've talked about it with the Niners. I know it's a different sport, but, you know, last season, for example, for the Niners, that was the most roller coaster season ever. Like, the Niners were losing to the worst teams, and then they would freaking blow out the Super Bowl champions, right? It was just the weirdest season. And obviously the Niners lost in the NFC Championship, unfortunately, but we've seen that that adversity ended up paying off. That's how the Niners got to that position, right? And again, it's a different sport, so it's a little different. But um, with the Kings, I think it's good for specifically guys like De'Aaron Fox and DeMontis Sabonis, right? Because they're pulling their weight for the most part. So it's, I think it's up, it's, you know, it's up to them to get everyone else to pull their weight, you know? Um, now, do I think, do I think it's a talent issue though? No, I, I think the Kings roster is actually maybe a top 15 talent, like in terms of talent in the, in the NBA, um, which is average, right? Um, but guess what it takes to make the playoffs to be a top 15 team right? Top 16 team, whatever it is. Uh, now, our coaching staff is also battle-tested. Extremely battle-tested. You know, majority of our coaching staff is either has won championships on other coaching staffs or has gone very deep into the playoffs with other coaching staffs. So I'm sure that the coaching staff is going to figure something out, but at some point, I think it it might even come down to maybe Monty McNair will talk to Mike Brown. Hey, what do you think? Do, should we make a move? And I don't. Th- I think Mike Mike Brown's been hinting at it. I think he has, you know, especially at that backup five uh, spot. I think my, I feel bad because it does sound like Mike Brown's kind of a little fed up with the lack of production there. So. We'll see how the coaching staff answers. We'll see how the, the roster answers. And we'll see how Monty McNair answers to all this adversity. 
Yeah, and that's a pretty good segue into what I wanted to discuss next. The backup five thing has been a riddle that it's, that's just been so tough to solve. It seems as if they cannot get any type of consistent production there. They have options in-house, but they're really not the ideal options. And look, when DeMontis Sabonis is just really the hub of the entire team, both ends of the floor, like the guy means so much to your team. Now, the Kings might be facing the fact that they won't have him, and if they do, he won't be 100% for the foreseeable future, right? Uh, It was reported today that he is going to be out for the short term, which is good if he does miss time, right? But even if he doesn't miss time, it's still going to be an injury that he's going to have to work through and something that the Kings are going to have to monitor closely. And fingers crossed, it it doesn't get any worse than it actually is. Um, Here's the actual release from the team today that was tweeted out by uh, all of the media. Uh, Today, the Sacramento Kings announced that center DeMontis Sabonis sustained an avulsion fracture of the ulnar collateral ligament of the right thumb during Friday's game versus the Wizards. The injury was confirmed through extensive consultation with Kings team physicians and outside specialists. Sabonis will be listed as questionable for Tuesday's game against Denver, right? And questionable means obviously he's, you know, 50-50 to play. But, I mean, the reality here is, is even if he's out there, he might not be himself, right? The Kings can't seem to go even two minutes without DeMontis Sabonis on the floor, right? So if he misses entire games, I mean, sheesh. Like, what happens then? KFR, your thoughts? Yeah, so as far as Sabonis playing, I'd be surprised if he plays tomorrow against Denver. Or just because it's a back-to-back, he's not going to play both games. I'd be shocked if he managed to play both games of a back-to-back after that. And I really don't know what the Kings do from here. Like you said, there's in-house options, but they're not ideal. You know, I was never the biggest uh, fan of Chimezimezu. The ride was fun, and we, but I think we all kind of knew at some point it was going to come to an end because it's only fun in like situational basketball. Chimezi's not a five; he's undersized, and it's just not who he is. And Kata had a great game against the Lakers. The Lakers are kind of undersized. And so, you know, he was a great lob threat. But offensively, he really only is a lob threat. He doesn't offer anything else. Just as of right now. He you're not gonna go to a low post with him. You can't really run the same high post sets that you run with Sabonis when Kata's out there. And defensively, it just changes everything. The Kings want to play at the level with Sabonis and Kata can't play that. Kata's only a drop coverage. That's his only real schematic thing that you can do with him out there. Yep. And even that, you know, he's out of position all the time. And he sets, sets himself up for, like, bad situations where he's not in position to box out his man. And even when he does get a ball and uh, hand on the ball, you know, he doesn't – it seems like he's losing it every other time. And so just all of that combined, you know, he, I, he's just really not ready to play right now. And hopefully one day he is, and the G League development works out in that department. And I think that Mike Brown said that Alex Lynn will start against Denver if Sabonis can't play, which I guess I like, to be honest. Uh, We know Alex Lynn will give you some production. He'll get you rebounds, some sort of rim protection. and But offensively, he doesn't offer you anything. I think the Kings will have to make a move. I don't know what the Kings will do 
as of the short term where you don't have, you're not going to make a move for the next two games, you know, and you don't have Sabonis, possibly. I don't know what the offense will look like. That's the biggest thing. I have zero clue because your entire offense, at least in that starting unit, is Sabonis in the high post. You're running splits off of him, and it's a handoff-driven offense. Mm-hmm. You're not going to run that with Alex Lynn out there. That's just not going to happen, or Keita, or Chemezi Matu. It's going to be a lot more pick and roll and just De'Aaron Fox, and Fox is going to have to do his thing. And that's the only way you're really going to win games. If the Kings beat Denver, Fox is probably going to have to have like 35. But I think the Kings need to make a move. I'm not really like paying attention as to many of the options out there, but I think you have to find somebody, just somebody reliable. It doesn't need to be the best backup five in the league. It just needs to be somebody that you can throw out there and give you 12 minutes a night because you can't run Sabonis 40, 41 minutes every single night. That That's not sustainable, and Mike Brown knows that. And he doesn't want to throw Sabonis out there. It's just the Kings, like you said, two minutes without Sabonis, and it's like – you look at the plus and minus and it's not always the best stat, but when your backup five is playing five minutes and it's a minus 12 on the court consistently, I think that's kind of a problem and you need to address it. Yeah. De'Aaron actually said that today. Uh, so again, we're recording this on Monday. Um, after practice today during his media availability, he did say, you know, he was asked what's the offense going to look like without Sabonis out there potentially. He said a lot more pick and rolls. It's going to be a lot more pick and rolls. And that's that's a that's a marked difference if that's going to be the case because the Kings are one of the lowest pick and roll usage teams in the league. They don't run pick and roll. Every, like you said, it's a handoff-driven offense. And let's say Sabonis is out there and he's playing with a hurt right hand. Does that potentially mean that you can only run DHOs <laughs> to one side of the floor? Because if you're just going to limit, if you're going to have to willingly eliminate running a, running a DHO to literally just half the court, you know, on the other side, that, that that really, really hamstrings you. And that makes things so difficult for your offense. Like if everybody knows you're going to be running a DHO and running like zoom action to the left corner, they can just sit on that. And it might not seem like it's a huge deal, but shit, it can be. And unless, unless the, the Kings coaching staff has some really creative counters to that, that they can put in, you know, within 24 hours, it's going to be rough, man. It's it's going to be rough, even if even if Sabonis is out there, and, and that and that's why you know, sure, this may not be like a really bad thing long term, and sure he could still potentially be playing, but oh man, it's going to be it's going to be different. It will be different when he's out there, and and if I if I'm Denver and Sabonis isn't playing, you know the Kings are going to be running like De'Aaron already said. If they're going to be running a lot of pick and rolls, I might just trap that. Mm-hmm. Make someone else beat you, right? Right. Yeah. I, if 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 they if they decide to blitz that, if they decide to blitz every ball screen with Fox and get the ball out of his hands, and if I'm Denver, Denver is one of the worst defenses in the league. They are. It, it probably drives Mike Malone nuts, but they're like a bottom three or four defensive team in the league right now. Still though, still though, with no Sabonis on the floor, and with Fox getting blitzed and having to you know give the ball up. <laughs> Even if the Kings played four on three with their next four best guys against the Nuggets, it's like, <laughs> the, it's, the question is: Do you trust Alex Lynn to make the right play ex- in the short Exactly. Role? Like, are you going to trust Alex Lynn to make that right? Play? Are you going to trust Chemezi Metu, Rashawn Holmes? Like, yeah, I don't, like, I don't think so. You can't do that if Sabonis yeah. is out there because that dude will just pick you apart in that exactly. situation. But exactly, it, if Alex Lynn is your starting center, I'm 100% trapping that every single time. Yeah, and if it's not, and if it's not a big guard pick and roll even if they went guard guard it's like okay 
cool, Malik Monk just goes to the screen or something like that. Or like, you know, Keegan Murray just goes to the screen or maybe he actually sets an actual pick and roll. If De'Aaron then kicks that out to Keegan, <laughs> right? Like, you know, and then Keegan's got to make a decision four on three. He's a rookie, you know, Harrison Barnes, even like these guys are not the best options to have the ball in their hands when you're playing against uh, imbalanced numbers like that, even if they are at an advantage numbers wise, right? Like with the defense kind of in a scramble situation. Yeah. You need that connector. You need that yes. extra guy that can get the ball there. Cause you have the ideal, you know, great playmaker, great scorer and deer. And you have great shooters around him. Mm-hmm. But you can just counter that by just trapping or blitzing him, make, making someone else make that read. And with the Kings, I, I like you said, just Harrison and Keegan too. You know, Harrison isn't the most like willing passer, like quick decision maker. He looks to drive first. It feels like most of the time. And Keegan is like the game is still like he's still catching up to the game right now. The speed of the game. He's a great shooter, but anytime he puts the ball on the floor, it's questionable. And the herd is the only guy I would one hundred percent trust in that situation, or Malik, right? But but everyone else, you know, it's like at this moment, I'm, I would not feel comfortable in an offense like that, right? And when your offense up to this point in the season through thirty one games has been predicated on a lot of guard guard pick and roll, I mean, are you really willing to to just spam that or run a ton of that, you know, and and have that be a foundational piece of your offense while Sabonis is out? I I just I just don't know. It really does ask a lot of questions of the Kings right now. Uh, Abe, on this podcast before, you have talked about some trade targets. Mo Bamba was a name. Mo Bamba actually is now rumored to be you know, on the Kings' radar, unsurprisingly, honestly. like that's He, he does make a lot of sense when it comes to the rim protection uh, aspect of things. And so we kind of know what that guy can do, right? But against the Wizards, I'm watching a guy like Daniel Gafford right not like spectacular doesn't do anything too crazy but capable defender just like a really capable big just in general um does a lot of good things out there at least brings some energy gives you some rebounding um he's functional enough to probably run a dho uh on monday night we got to look at mason Plumley of the hornets and if you throw out the free throw shooting form and just the jump shooting form in general with Mason Plumley, he does a lot of good things out there. He actually got the better of DeMontis Sabonis while he was on defense a couple of times. You know, he's got a lot of length and he's got a lot of size, so he's able to affect a lot of shots around the rim. Um, are we looking for guys of that ilk? Are we looking for guys of that type? Um, really, right now, a lot of those guys would be an upgrade. I mean, one of the more random names that I can think of as far as dudes that might fit on this team and help them as a backup big is like Kem Birch. Like Kem Birch would be an upgrade. You know, like Kem Birch, Kem Birch is is a guy who's been in and out of the rotation on a lot of teams, on both the teams he's been on, right? Toronto, Orlando, right? Like, oh, no, look at that. Yeah, for those of you, yeah, we don't have any video here. So uh, for those of you who are listening right now, uh, Abe just put his phone up to the screen here and Kem Birch is on this short list of guys that, that, he's, uh, that he's proposed could be, pretty good trade targets and Kemba just you know I, I I mentioned him at random it just it just so happened to pop up on Abe's list but Abe I don't think we're really asking for much here as Kings fans to be like we don't have very many good options here as Kings fans to watch as potential you know, like, like Chemezi Metu, Rashawn Holmes, Alex Len, Namias Keita the quant the quantity is there the quality is kind of lacking 
a guy like Ken Birch, a guy like Mason Plumley, I mean, Daniel Gafford, even like these guys would be upgrades, wouldn't be, wouldn't they? Like that's that's kind of how down bad we are right now. Yeah, for sure, there would be upgrades. And let me just say, let me preface this by saying, I am a Ken Birch stan. Mm-hmm. I've loved him since he was in Orlando. Like I love, yeah. I've always yeah. for some reason he's the type of guy you want on your team. Yeah, same. And Drew, we've we talked about him like three years ago. Do you remember yeah. that? Yeah, yeah. Like we had an in depth conversation about this backup five in Orlando. Um, so I, I like guys like Ken Birch. I like guys like Thaddeus Young. Like the, the, the Toronto Raptors might blow it up. And first of all, I think Thad Young would be the most perfect fit on the Kings because he can run a small ball five. He's got that old man strength. He is still a very effective player. He's a really good defender. He's at his whole career. He's been a very underrated playmaker his whole entire career. Like he does a lot of the little things. Um, I always loved him. Even when he was in Philly, like, I knew that he would be like a very productive player for a long time, except unfortunately he's always on teams that are just like middling. Um, Mason Plumlee, obviously Mo Bamba, you talked about it. Uh, a name that's probably might be under the radar that I've seen who might be being shopped is Nas Reed, who is another guy that I know you like drew. Um, I think Nas Reed can offer a lot for us. Uh, I think Nas Reed also would offer out of all the, the options be the best floor spacing big as well he is he i i love nas reed i think he'll be really good uh on this current roster yeah his his real quick his the his development has been staggering because if you followed nas reed at his lone season at lsu and really as a high school prospect he was just, he was a man child he was like 6 10 250 pounds as a freshman coming into college and and i don't want to like get too in depth about this because it's like it's it's neither here nor there but like will wade who was coaching at lsu at the time like left vcu to take the job at lsu and immediately just became like uh like a like a mafioso the guy was like paying players to come to lsu and nas reed was one of those guys and and at first i'm like oh, how did will wade get this guy right away turns out he was kind of cheating anyways nas reed ends up leaving after his loan season at lsu and i'm like well where where does he go from here because he he was just a, f- a physical freak. Like he didn't really show any discernible skills outside of outside of you know just being around the basket and making plays around the basket because he was bigger than everybody else. Now that he's a four spacer, it's crazy, man. Like the 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 jump shot he's layered on, his ability to you know he's pretty decent out of the short roll. He's skilled enough to run a DHO. He's he's pretty good defensively as well. I mean, just this just the size that he offers, like. He 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 would be a, a fantastic option for the Kings, but you know, given everything that we just sang his praises, right? And for that very reason, you would think the Timberwolves wouldn't be giving him up very easy. Yeah. Um. Well, the Timberwolves. I I don't know. I I forgot what it was that I seen. Like it was just a rumor. Obviously, you know, it's that time of the year. Um. I forgot what they seen what his worth is, but I seen that they would be willing to trade him. I mean, he's not really getting that many minutes right now, and uh. In Minnesota, well, with Carl Anthony Towns down, yeah, but when Carl Anthony Towns comes back, he's kind of just going to be a back end rotation guy. Um, another guy who I think is actually the most realistic, like, choice to be traded to the Kings would be Damian Jones, and obviously it would be a reunion. Mm-hmm. Um, Damian Jones can run at least a little bit of DHO action, and he can do it effectively. Um, he's also a bit of a rim runner, you know. He is like the ultimate backup five. Like he's the type of guy you want as your backup five. Uh, if he's ever put in a starting role, I don't think he'll be that 
successful because he's the type of guy where he'll give you a good 10 to 13 minutes every single game. Anything more than that? No. But guess what? That's all the Kings need. As a guy that'll give you 10 to 15 minutes, you know? Um, see, now, I think that those guys would be something that the Kings look for. Uh, as far as the the Nuggets game goes, though, with how the Kings are going to run their uh, their potential offense, you know, I wouldn't be surprised, and KFR mentioned it, I would not be surprised if if Kevin Herter takes on a lot of playmaking duty, the playmaking duties. He's shown that he can do it. I think he can even run a little bit of DHO stuff, you know, like as as a guard. You know what I mean? Um, I think a big a big hole would be if the Kings decided to run. And I think it's a possibility. I think the Kings might try to run small ball against them, like with Harrison Barnes at the five. And now you got floor space and galore if you do that. Um, I I don't know. I don't know. The Kings don't have many options. They don't. If Sabonis is out, I actually think that Mike Brown would be more comfortable starting Harrison Barnes or playing Harrison Barnes, I mean, at the five over someone like Chemezi Meto at this point and Kate and Kata and you know Rashawn Holmes. Because it's just so bad that that hole at the five at the back of five. But I don't know. I, overall, I definitely think there's going to be a move made. And I think there's going to be a move made very soon. I think given it like even like a week or so, especially if we find out that uh, Sabonis' injury is maybe worse than we can imagine. Hopefully it's not. There's going to be a move made. And I think if, if, a move, if a move like that is made, it's going to be for a guy like Mason Plumlee who can play big minutes or a guy like even Thaddeus Young who could probably play big minutes. Uh, but if Sabonis' injury is very like mild, then I would say, like you mentioned, um, Ken Birch or Damian Jones. Um, it, it, I don't know. It's t- it's really it's hard to to figure out what the Kings are looking for. But I mean, it's it's hard to figure out what the Kings would do because Monty McNair, that guy, man, that guy. You never that know guy. with him. Yeah, that guy. That that he's he really is a man of mystery. Um. Real quick to just put a bow on this topic. Uh, Jeff Stotts, at In Street Clothes on Twitter. Um, he is an injury analyst and a certified athletic trainer. He uh, tweeted out a link to an article ab- about understanding the DeMontis bonus uh, injury. And uh, Cam Salerno of 247 Sports, my good friend Cam. Uh, Cam, come on the show, by the way. I'd like to have you on. He covers the Kings for the Associated Press, and uh, he quotes here a quote from the article that Jeff Stotts tweeted out, quote, the average time lost for in-season UCL, so ulnar collateral nerve or ligament injuries, uh, UCL repairs in the NBA is 25.1 games or 55 days. Unfortunately, the degree of Sabonis' sprain has not been made public. So that is Jeff using uh, anecdotal evidence and previous injuries of that type in order to come up with that number. But, <laughs> I mean, if if you could lose up to that much time with this injury, and you're going to try to play through it, obviously that means that there's risk involved, right? One, potentially making the injury worse. And two, you know, just like the 
the the the fact that he might not be as effective and that's the reality that the kings are gonna have to face right now look when monty mcnair took this huge swing and traded for DeMontis Sabonis and said, I'm going to build this team around De'Aaron Fox and DeMontis Sabonis. This was always going to be a potential issue. This was always going to be something that could have popped up at any time. And now we are now, we're now staring it right in the face. DeMontis Sabonis is one of like, I don't know, three players maybe in the entire world that has the skill set that he has at his position. So you are never going to find somebody with that type of overlap, with that type of skill set that was going to play in tandem with him or was going to back him up, right? It was always going to be difficult to replace his production. And it's even more difficult now because, like we've stated, he's playing the best basketball of his life right now. He's, he's unreal. The, guy's, the guy is on an insane run right now. And it, and it, it does not give me Linsanity vibes. This seems... Very sustainable. This he's he's heading towards his prime. This makes sense for why he's playing so well right now. And so this injury is quite literally happening at the worst time. There are a whole bunch of things that we're gonna have to we're gonna have to kind of sort out here as 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 this saga kind of plays out. But um I guess on one hand you can say, Great, he's not gonna be missing that that much time or he's gonna try to play through this. But on the other hand, it's like, well, if it hinders his effectiveness then like what happens, right? We're going to have to see. Um, there are a lot of things that this coaching staff is going to have to figure out. And they were always going to have to figure out a lot with this team heading into the season. But bottom line is, is up to this point in the season, the Kings were 17 and 14. If I told you guys before the season that the Kings through 31 games are going to be 17 and 14 and that the uh, the winning and the production looks sustainable, I, I think I think we'd all be happy, right? I think we all would have been pretty happy hearing that. It just sucks that, if you look at this past week in a vacuum, not a good week. And the Sabonis news is probably, you know, the worst part about what happened this past week aside, you know, like if you, if, even if you factor in the two, the two losses that they had to some pretty bad teams. Um, let's, let's touch on the office and de- uh, offense and defense real quick. The Kings have taken a little bit of a dip on offense. Uh, according to NBA.com, they're seventh in offensive rating at 114.9. Well, they're tied with the, with the New Orleans Pelicans at 114.9. So that's tied for sixth in the league uh, offensive rating. And then on defense, they're actually 18th. So they've been hovering around that 18, 19 spot. Um, kind of surprising because they did not have good showings against the Wizards and against the Hornets on defense. I mean, really against the, I mean, they gave a 120 to the Lakers. I, 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 I know it's not like, you know, lockdown defense by any means, but I mean, towards the end of the game, the Lakers just you know, got a few cheap ones, right? So, I mean, KFR overall, offense and defense. I mean, it, it, things looked bad against the two, the two, the two losses. You know, in the two losses that the Kings played, um, uh, in, the, in the two losses that the Kings uh, dealt with this past week, but uh, the win against the Lakers, everything looked pretty good. Uh, does that check out? Do the numbers kind of check out for you there? Yeah, I'm still surprised that they're 18th in defense, especially just how bad that Wizards and Hornets game was. Even like the Lakers, they gave up 120. And I, I don't know if the Kings, like if there was an inflated number of possessions, so it wasn't actually that bad in that game. But yeah, I mean, it, it does relatively check out. The Kings defense wasn't good during these three games, just overall. The offense is basically 
the offense. I, I don't think the offense has dipped. If I had to guess, other teams are just figuring out as well. And so those numbers are just getting higher for them. I don't know if the offensive rating for the Kings has actually dropped or if others are just getting better. But we know what the offense is, and Sabonis is just in complete control right now. It's he's found that balance of being aggressive but also being a playmaker. You know, he just he he's gonna go get his he gets 10, 11 assists now with ease. It, you look at the stat sheet and it really doesn't feel like he it's like three or four assists are really notable. And you look at the stat sheet and he has like 12. And it's just that DHO offense is just and that really is a skill. Like his screening ability in handoffs, that's a big, big thing. And his gravity on the roll, it creates space for these guys. And so we know what the offense is. And De'Aaron, too, is just he'll get 20 with ease. It's pretty simple for them. Shooting's been better, too. The Keegan had a huge game against the Lakers, hit six threes. And yep. like Kevin Herter had 26 in that game. Yep. He had three threes. Like that kind of shows you the level of player he is. He's getting 26 in a game where he's only hitting three threes. And it's just he knows how to use his size and he has good touch around the basket. This team is built perfectly for offense as for the players that they have. Like, the best offense that you can build around Fox is a bonus. I feel like they did. Yeah. Defensively, it struggled this week. I talked about it earlier. It's really the weak side guys. It's just guys aren't rotating in time and making the closeouts are weaker. And it's like the Kings are giving up a ton of paint points. But the problem is that you're letting them get into the paint because if you let them get to that point, Sabonis isn't going to block shots. That's just mm-hmm. not who he is. And I know the Wizards and Hornets game, the paint points killed him. Abe talked about it. Nick Richards killed him. I don't think it's like the Sabonis' fault Like when he's in there. I really don't. It's really bad point of attack defense. Guys aren't rotating on the weak side. you got to be there. It's not Sabonis' job, really, to defend the big in the pick and roll. He's more focused on containing guards. And so if you just put the... If you're out of the play as a guard in screen navigation or you don't rotate on the weak side and take away the roll, that's not on Sabonis. And so that's going to result in paint points like most of the time. And that that's not Sabonis' fault. You guys have to make the proper rotations. It, it's not on like anybody specifically. It's just as a team effort. It feels like everybody wasn't doing that this week. But the fact that after all that to still be 18th, I feel good about. And if the Kings just have around 18th, 19th all year, I'm fine with that. That's basically about as good as we could have hoped for with this unit. Yeah, the Kings gave up 72 point paints. Uh, pay, I'm sorry, 72 paint points to the Hornets, and then 70 to the Washington Wizards. It's just disgusting. That's more than that's more, way more than half their points, right? Like in those respective games, I, it yeah, it, it's that's got to improve. You're absolutely right. The low man. I, I thought against the Lakers, it was great. I mean, Ke- Keegan Murray taking two charges, and Davion's always willing to step in there and sacrifice his body. Dude, Keegan in that game, I'm glad he won defensive player of the game because that, yeah. taking two charges in, like in that situation, and because he tried in the Charlotte game, he didn't get there in time and mm-hmm. just kind of fell down. And I think the same thing happened in Washington, or against Washington. He kind of was in the same spot where he gets there like in time or just a little late and – so he's not really in position. He's in the restricted area a little bit. But in that L.A. game, taking two charges from a rookie, too. I mean, that's incredibly impressive. I'm glad he won defensive player of the game because if you take two charges in a game, I feel like you win that by default. Yeah, I I, I just – look, as a person who uh, led my high school team in charges, six, I took six my senior year, uh, I can respect that. 
uh, I know a little bit of something about that, and it takes a lot of sacrifice and hard work. And yeah, it's something you got to work. You got to some, you know, you got to perfect your technique when it comes to taking charges too. So it's cool that Keegan's gotten it together this quickly to to take two in a game like that. I was desperate for him to win a defensive player of the game at some point because I I needed the pictures of him having the chain on, and man, those did not disappoint. He looked so awkward and so uncomfortable wearing that thing, like the 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 memes that people have made the 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 pictures just circulating like the dude looks so lost i i I can't even imagine what it was like and then there were rumors that he broke the chain too which is hilarious like i i just god i i I love him so much um and and that was just it was a great all-around game for keegan which is always nice to see but you're right overall against the hornets and, and the wizards especially just the the helper being helped that was like not a thing uh low man out of position a lot of the times um like you said if sabonis is going to be playing at the level or if he's going to be hedging up there you need you need to i don't want to use the word cheat over but yeah you're gonna kind of need to you know shade over at least right from the weak side if you're gonna tag a roller if you're gonna come in come into the paint and help from the from from the low side from the from the weak side corner and that just like was not there consistently and it drove drove me nuts absolutely nuts too many dunks too many easy opportunities right at the rim for both those teams um just really just unacceptable overall mike brown if he had any hair he would have pulled it all out uh, in both those games that man i know that man was just being driven nuts in those two games because that is not what he coaches them obviously jordy fernandez as well like jordy jordy's done a pretty good job with the defense this season to have them 18th is that that's that's a herculean task because this team's been so bad on defense and you're right being 18th in the league oh that's awesome but you know especially considering the kings and how bad they've been on that on that side of the ball for a decade and a half but there are a lot of things that they need to work on to get this thing more consistent. And and I do think you're right. I, 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 I would imagine that a lot of teams around them got worse, <laughs> which is the reason why they've, they've stayed 18th. It's not necessarily them doing a killer job, right? So it, it's, it's, it's getting there. It's, it's encouraging that they're still in the top 20, but the defense is not their calling card. It's not. And until it becomes that, Mike Brown, Jordy Fernandez, us as fans, we 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 shouldn't be satisfied. Like uh, we 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 would probably like to see more out of this team on that end. And uh, I did say burn the tape from those two games, but looking back on them and using just the horrible rotations or lack of rotations um, as 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 a learning mechanism wouldn't be the worst idea in the world. So uh, I guess we'll see. Let's take a look ahead, though. We've all mentioned the Nuggets games. Games, that's right, people. Uh, it seems as if the back-to-back at home against the same opponent thing is just going to be a thing from this point moving forward. Uh, definitely an invention of the COVID season in the 2020-2021 uh, season. There are a lot of games that were just played against, you know, between the two te- between the two the same two teams in the same location because it was more efficient for travel and makes sense. Makes sense why you would keep it around. Uh, so the Nuggets, who, by the way, are the number one team in the Western Conference, will be in town on back-to-back nights. Uh, the Kings will play them on two nights consecutively. That would be, uh, by the time many of you listen to this, it will be on Tuesday, so tonight, and then tomorrow night, which would be Wednesday. And 
no Sabonis, so it's going to be pretty tough, uh, or potentially no Sabonis, or you know, a uh, a not one hundred percent Sabonis. That's going to be pretty tough when you're going against Nikola Jokic, who by every metric right now should be the most valuable player once again in the NBA. Uh, f- uh, Friday, I'm sorry, Friday, excuse me. They play the Utah Jazz, who after a really hot start have kind of faded, but I mean that's still a winning team in in a playing position right now. So the Kings obviously can't take them lightly. Uh, that will be Friday at home, and then. They will finally leave Golden 1 Center for the first time in, in about two weeks. They will go to Memphis on New Year's Day. That's Sunday. And they will play the Grizzlies in Memphis. What are we thinking, fellas? Fish guy? Four-game week. Going to be pretty tough. What are you thinking? Well, I'm just hoping we win a game. <laughs> I just, I, at this point, no. I think we. I think if Sabonis plays, I actually, I have some type of optimism that he's going to play the second game against the the Nuggets. I think the Kings are going to lose against the Nuggets the first game. I think uh, we might even get blown out. I think it's just not going to be that fun of a game to watch. Um, but I do think it's going to be a high scoring game. I think it's going to be a pretty high scoring game. Um, the second game, if Sabonis does play, I'm going to say the Kings are going to win. Because historically, Sabonis does play really well against Jokic. Um, the Jazz, I think the Kings will win that game for sure. Um, Memphis on New Year's Day. Man, I don't know what to think about this Memphis team. Yeah, me neither. I, I don't know. I don't know because they just look terrible against the Warriors. And the Warriors were missing... They're probably their two best players this season, mm-hmm. Steph and Wiggins. Yeah, and they just look bad. And now I could think it might be a mental thing because, I mean, let's face it, the Warriors own the Grizzlies. You know, that's like big bro. But De'Aaron Fox always performs against Ja. He always brings it. You know, with or without Sabonis. You know, they don't really have. I mean, to, technically speaking, Stephen Adams is like. The type of big that really kind of neutralizes guys like Sabonis. Yeah. You know, so maybe not having Sabonis won't kill us that much. Um, having a, a a bruiser like Alex Len against Steven Adams, I think that will kind of benefit the Kings. Um, I think the Kings can win that game. So I'm going to say a very, very, very optimistic two and two week. Very optimistic. All right, KFR, your thoughts? I'm with Abe on the whole uh, Denver and Sabonis thing. I think Sabonis will play one of these games. Not sure which one. But I, I feel a lot better about whatever game he plays in. So I'll say it's more likely he plays the second game. So I'll say first game goes to Denver, second game to Sac. I just have a hard time seeing how they're going to generate like consistent points offensively without Sabonis. I'd have to see something to believe it. And I don't believe it right now. And then the Utah game, this is the easy one for me. The Kings will obviously <laughs> win. So for everyone listening, I'll be in attendance in that game. And uh, I talked about it in the past. My record at the Kings uh, at games that I attend is ridiculous. I, it makes no sense. I, I was at the only other game I went to this season was the Brooklyn game. Kings won by 30. Last season, I went to one game. Chimezi Metu hit a buzzer beater. Okay. You get the trend here, okay? They do good when I'm there. So that's my only logic for that one. And then at Memphis, 
I don't really see the Kings winning this game. Just the fact that they already won at Memphis. Like, if there's one place on the road that I did not expect the Kings to ever win two games this season, Memphis would probably be number one. It feels like they just struggled against the Grizzlies so much the last few seasons. And as much as De'Aaron does perform against Jaw, uh, the Kings don't as a team. They don't perform against the Grizzlies. They had a big game earlier this season when uh, Desmond Bain didn't play. But I just, that's a team that's like, they remember what happened. They're not going to let the Kings come out and go by 15 or whatever in the fourth again. And they ended up coming back and made that a game just because that team is full of dogs. And so I don't feel great about that game. So I'm going to go with two and two. We'll beat one time, just win one game against Denver, and I'll be happy. And then obviously they'll beat the Jazz, not even a question. <laughs> yeah. A split with Denver would be fan- fantastic, honestly. That would, you know, um, if they come out and they beat the hell out of the Kings in the first game, well, we've talked about it a lot on this podcast. It is really, really tough to beat somebody two games in a row like that, um, especially in a back-to-back set as well. Um, that's, you know, you, you can talk you can talk about how in the playoffs, yeah, you played the same opponent over the course of potentially seven games, but you get days off in between. A back-to-back uh, in the same place, um, you know, with the Kings having home court advantage, that's that that certainly plays in their favor to at least get one of those games. Uh, the Nuggets have the second-best offense in the league, and they've actually gotten better on defense uh, over the past week. They're actually 24th now in defensive rating, but that's still not very good. I mean, if the Kings are 18th in the league in defensive rating and the Nuggets are 24th, that kind of gives you an idea. Like, hmm, yeah, they, they, they're not doing all that well on defense. And so I'm, I'm in agreement with A. Both those games are going to be really, really high-scoring, I think. Um, I, I guess it just depends on who misses more shots or who gets more stops. Also, point, real like. quick, Denver is nine and eight on the road, so mm-hmm. they're basically five hundred team. Yeah, and that's not easy to do as 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 fans of a team that we consider to be road warriors, <laughs> the Sacramento Kings. Not easy to do, and and look, Denver they they travel, man. Um, the thing that I think works in the Kings' favor as far as getting uh, a split of those two games. Uh, or the thing that I think matters most is the fact that Denver will be playing three games in four nights. You know, they played on Christmas Day. Uh, that second game, that back-to-back, will be their third game in, in four nights. So, and that's that's difficult to do. The Kings are going to be doing the same thing um, once they face Utah. So that'll be tough, but at least they'll be at home. Utah, um, yeah, I can't doubt the KFR magic anymore. I'm going to chalk that one up as a win. Uh, it's one thing to be in attendance to see your team win when you're there, but it's another thing when the last game that you were at was just an absolute shellacking. I mean, the Kings beat the hell out of the Nets on national TV and that place was on fire. So hopefully that's the same. Hopefully it's the same deal. It'll be a Friday night. I mean, like what more could you ask for? The Kings just had their first Friday night game of the season. The crowd brought it. And yet the loudest that place ever got was when everybody got free crumble cookies. So the Kings need to, they need to come out. They need to, they need to bring it from the jump against uh, what figures to be a pretty difficult opponent. And then, yeah, Sunday, Sunday's a tricky one. I, Memphis has been a house of horrors for the Kings since forever. They, they just don't win there. And uh, that last win, even though it was a win in Memphis, which is huge, again, the, the Grizzlies just did not go away. And, and the Kings kind of folded down the stretch. Um, traveling cross country, New Year's Day, I mean, a lot working against them. Um, it would be very, very nice for the Kings to go two and two. I'm, I'm in agreement with you guys. So 
Uh, two and two would be great. And I think if the Kings can walk out of this this week, four games, I mean, I'm sorry, three games over 500 and, you know, leave it how they came into the week, then I'd totally be okay with that, you know, leaving uh, this week with a 19 to 15 overall record. So we will see, but it's going to be a difficult week. It is going to be a difficult week. And, and I don't want to be, I don't want to bring this up and be like pessimistic or anything like that, but. I don't think an 0-4 week is out of the question, which is really, really scary. I do not want to see the Kings go under 500 for the first time since uh, they were 3-4. and four. Or were they 3-4? and four? They started off 0-4, and, and then did they win three straight or no? No. No, they won uh, two straight. I think they were like, yeah. Like 4-5? Four, 4-5? Four and five? Four and five? Or like 5-6? and six? Something like that was the last time they were under 500? Yeah, five and six. I believe. Yeah, five and six. Because they won uh, seven yeah, in a row. They won it seven matter. in a row. It doesn't matter. Yeah. I don't look back at the negatives, all right? Yeah. Yeah, I do. So uh, that's that's the product of being a fan of a shitty team for a decade and a half, though. You know, you got to kind of you got to kind of look back at where you came from in order to get to where you're going. So and it's a product of being a hater, which we all are. Yeah. Yeah. We're all haters. So, you know, not not that surprising that I bring it up. Fair. It's fair. Uh, all right. Let's close it out. Fish guy. Who are your shout outs for this week? For the third week in a row. Third episode in a row. Shout out to Brock Purdy, because I love that man. The greatest current Iowa State alum in all major professional sports here in America, right? Him and THT. Yeah. Yep. And Gorgeous, gorgeous Jang. Yeah, yeah, George Niang. Niang, my man. Um, yeah, really just those guys. Can't really think of anybody else from Iowa State who's doing well right now. Yeah, probably doesn't matter. KFR, your shout out for this week. My shout out, basically on par with Abe, Kenny Pickett, the okay. better rookie quarterback. Oh, well. I mean, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but he is better. Well, let's let's take a step back. Yes, we get it. He was drafted in the forty sixth round. Okay, so the value is <laughs> not the same, but okay, there's different expectations here. Yeah, I. I mean, look, I I would imagine it's very very exciting to see your rookie quarterback go out there and 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 play. I Abe and I kind of negative this, eighty degree weather at that. Right? Yeah, yeah. I can't even or whatever imagine, it was. I can't even imagine what that does to your hands playing in that weather. But yeah, yeah. I mean, I, well, don't I worry. He's got two gloves. I I would imagine it's so cool to watch your starting rookie quarterback score thirteen points a game. I can't relate. You know, mine only scores thirty one points a game as a starter. So it's it's very hard. So. I'd imagine why you'd be proud of that. Yeah. Uh, just remind me, just when was the last time the 49ers won the Super Bowl? Because <laughs> I don't think I was alive. Um, You weren't alive, but I was also not alive. So, yeah, neither of um, you were alive. Drew was. Yeah, I was. I was, on my, I was on my third marriage by that point. Yeah, I remember it vividly. Where, where'd you watch the game at? Um, I watched it at a Kroger's. Yeah, we got we got those out here, or we used to have them out here, but uh, they're gone now. Kind of crazy. They used to these they, they used to have football games there. It's pretty wild. Um, my shout out for the week, it's got to be Mark Jones. Look, I love Mark Jones. I think a lot, uh, really, the majority of the fan base loves that man. He's one of the best in the business at calling games. I just have now unintentionally trolled him twice, though. Uh. I, if you if you didn't see it, 
I, I tweeted out something uh, about De'Aaron Fox being a, a huge Taylor Swift fan. And basically it was a ploy to get all-star votes for De'Aaron Fox <laughs> through the Taylor Swift stand community. And uh seemed to be working just fine. And then Mark Jones mentioned it on the broadcast against the Lakers. And uh, I clipped it and I posted it and and it kind of took off. And I I feel it's funny, but I, I do feel bad um, because I also tricked Mark into thinking that uh, the American River was like this majestic thing that he had been missing out on since he'd been here in Sacramento. When in reality, it was just a video that I stole of like Thailand or something like that uh, way back in like January or February. So. I got to shout him out. Uh, I hope that he's in on the joke. If he's not, I'm sorry, Mark Jones. I actually got a chance to meet Mark Jones a few weeks ago. I think I might have mentioned it on this podcast. Such a nice guy. Such a cool dude. And uh, I feel bad about it. But at the same time, it's kind of funny. So I can't be like that sad about it. It was honestly kind of hilarious. So um, shout out to Mark Jones. Again, one of the best in the business. Uh, hopefully, he'll be calling, uh, you know, a few, if not all, the games this week. Um, I know he's got a busy national schedule, so maybe I'll see you at Golden One Center, Mark. All right, that'll do it for this episode of In the Film Room, a Sacramento Kings podcast. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you, everybody, for being a little bit patient with us. Uh, schedule is thrown off a little bit this week because of Christmas, obviously, but uh, still, we're able to get an episode out for you, like we said we were going to try to do. So hope you guys enjoy. It's going to be, I think, a pretty rainy week coming up in Sacramento. So be safe out there, everybody. And um, hey, three home games this week. Hope to see a lot of you at Golden One Center. And hopefully the Kings do their thing and rack up the W's, get back on track. Light the beam, all that good stuff. Talk to you guys next time.